Teen Time Presents Podcast On Demand. Log on to podcast.rthk.org.hk. Teen Time Podcast On Demand. Welcome back to the Teen Time Science Blog. I'm Neil Chase. 2010 got off to a bad start for the Earth's crust. There was the earthquake in Haiti in January, and then just last week there was another huge quake in Chile. The latter occurred on the western coast of Chile, so why didn't it cause another devastating tsunami like the one in 2004? It was nearly as strong, but only caused mild waves across the ocean in Hawaii and Japan. Some scientists are suggesting that it was because the quake ruptured only about 400 kilometers of the Earth's crust, whereas the 2004 quake off Indonesia ruptured about four times that amount. It seems that the longer the rift in the fault, the more likely it is for a powerful tsunami. Yes, there are other factors too, like the direction of the quake, depth of water and the land mass around it that can cause echoes or ripples, but thankfully people in Asia were fortunate to get away with minimal effects and little damage this time. As you might have also seen in the news, a massive iceberg split off the coast of East Antarctica last week. The iceberg is over 850 billion tons and has a surface area of about 2,500 square kilometers. But it's just a big chunk of ice, right? Well, before the berg broke off, it sheltered an area of the Antarctic coast, which meant that the water around it was less salty, meaning that different animals and fish could live there. However, after the berg broke off, more seawater could get into the same area, which will affect marine life there, but also might change global ocean currents, and that might even lead to climate change. It's not thought that the event itself was a direct result of global warming, but it does emphasize that just small changes in the ecosystem can have wide-ranging implications. Testing for various diseases is very straightforward. A doctor takes a small blood sample, sends it to the laboratory, and finds out if there are any problems. But this process is expensive. And what if there aren't any doctors or laboratories in the area? Now, a chemist from Harvard University has just created a prototype test made out of paper, which just costs a few cents. A drop of blood on one side of the paper results in a colorful tree-like pattern that tells doctors whether a person has certain diseases like HIV, malaria or tuberculosis. The different colors on the paper pattern can also reveal the severity of a disease rather than just saying if a person has it or not. And what is really useful for patients in the developing world is that they could simply snap a picture of the results and send it by mobile phone to a doctor in another city so that they could find out in advance if they needed a trip to hospital or not. It's cheap remote diagnosis. In every electronic device, there will be millions of transistors. 
Up till now that has meant two pieces of silicon with opposite polarities that allow the current to be switched on and off within the transistor. But that isn't very efficient and the junction between the two pieces of silicon causes power loss and is much more expensive to produce. But now Irish researchers have created the first junctionless transistor. It pumps current through a thin silicon wire, just a few atoms in diameter. Then another component regulates the flow of current by electrically squeezing the wire to stop the electron flow, just like you might squeeze a drinking straw to stop the liquid from moving through it. Of course, squeezing one silicon nanowire in the laboratory is completely different to commercially manufacturing billions of these. But if that could be done, then the breakthrough in computing power would be huge. This year marks the 50th anniversary of one of the most important developments in the history of science, light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation, the LASER, the laser. Back in the 1960s, lasers were pretty futuristic and the movies loved them, either as sci-fi death rays or as some secret weapon. However, today the laser has become an everyday item to us all. Apart from reading and writing CDs and DVDs, they guide aircraft, enable eye surgery, survey the planet, print documents, cut fabric for clothing and metal for tools and help you scan food items in supermarkets. The laser is usually a very pure, narrow wavelength, single color light that in lower energies can read and write DVDs or in high energy format might be the jump to bombarding atoms to create nuclear fusion. I doubt any of these applications were considered 50 years ago, so who knows what the next 50 years of laser technology will bring us. Happy birthday, laser! I'm Neil Chase and that's it for the Teen Time Science Blog for another week. See you next time. Teen Time presents Podcast On Demand. Log on to podcast.rthk.org.hk. Teen Time Podcast On Demand. <laughs>